0: This is Heather Jutrangelo, and I believe that no one and no situation is ever too far gone. Well, hi everyone, and welcome back to Never Too Far Gone with Heather Jutrangelo. Here I am. Uh, or perhaps welcome for the first time. Maybe today's topic has sparked your interest. You thought you'd just plug in and hear a little bit about how to keep burning in a cold-hearted system. This is one of the topics that I am the most passionate about sharing about uh, from my own experience and uh, different harsh environments that I have, I guess, managed to thrive and and Uh, flourish in despite the conditions being hard and uh, the resources being few and the opposition being great. Perhaps you feel like you work in a system uh, that is that way at the moment and maybe you have your moments where you feel like, I just, I don't know if I can keep going or even if I can keep going, I feel like the flame inside of me, that first lit when I decided to go into this profession or go into this kind of work, feels like it is getting quashed, uh, feels put under a box, feels like it is flickering in the wind. So I want to talk today about how we keep the fire burning and how do we keep the flame alive? How do we keep showing up in a difficult, under-resourced overpressured, dysfunctional, broken system and bring light and power and hope for change and for renewal. Well, today I was going to make this podcast kind of all about the four methods that I've developed for systemic renewal. And I was going to share some examples of them, but I'm going to hold off on that for now because I did put a little call out this week to say if you have any questions that you would like me to answer or speak to in the podcast, please shoot them through. And what I'm really looking forward to doing when we launch the Academy for Systemic Renewal next year is actually hosting some of these sessions live and creating an open house space for people to ask uh, questions and for us to have some live discussion as well as some guests. But for now, um, I felt that I really needed to respond to this question in this week's podcast because a friend of mine who is a renewalist, who is... A person that has that kind of gifting, that desire, that drive to make uh, positive change happen from within systems and to rebuild what's broken, which I absolutely believe is a leadership calling, a leadership gifting, and a leadership style that many people have but have never been encouraged or nurtured in. Uh, She is one of those people. And... She works in uh, the social work sector. And she reached out to me this week to say, I'm just feeling so discouraged. And we've all been there. We've all been there where we've had those moments where there's been a conversation or a meeting or an outcome at work where we have just felt like, you know, I can't take another hit. It's too hard nothing's ever going to change here. I feel compromised. And and we kind of have to metabolize those questions as we wrestle with them on the way home from work and and when we start, you know, looking up uh, other jobs we might apply for, which may or may not be the answer to the problem. But this friend of mine, she was sharing and, and she was saying that Actually, an entire program that she had built, which included funding, staffing and facilities, a whole centre, in fact, had been closed down by subsequent management after she'd left and that she'd felt as though you know, uh, she'd kind of accepted this and let go and that she'd she'd moved on into a different role now and as you do, you relinquish control over what happens when other people succeed and, and step into the shoes that you were in. Uh, but she spoke about going and seeing uh, physically the actual centre being closed down and everything that she'd worked so hard to build just not existing anymore. And the word she used to describe how that felt was heartbreaking. And isn't it just so heartbreaking when we pour ourselves into a project, a passion, a vision, and we give it everything we've got and we even see it come to fruition to a large extent and then quickly it's snuffed out, quickly the funding's removed, quickly a new manager decides we're not doing that anymore. And in seconds, you know, months or even years of work can be snuffed out. So when you work in the process of renewal, these really are the moments that make or break. How do we metabolize those experiences? How do we process and make meaning of them? And if we keep going, how do we keep burning so that we ourselves are not becoming cold or hardened or hard in our hearts. Uh, so critical. And maybe next year we could even do a whole series on just this this question alone and share some of our experiences. Um, but I really believe that the ability to do this is kind of where the character of the renewalist, the character of the person that leads renewal in a system, is most formed. It is the crucible of suffering where the best work we will ever do gets kind of burned into our DNA and into our brains. And uh, we learn to see these awful, awful moments as golden opportunities. So what I want to do is suggest three responses that help us to keep our fire aflame to keep our passion going, to keep our energy and our spirits high and to stay creative in this work. Uh, which is so critical. So last week I shared three reasons why talking about changing mindsets can sound kind of lightweight or fluffy or not very heavy. And the three reasons that I shared were firstly that not every change actually requires a mindset change. So we can overwork the concept in scenarios where it isn't really critical and it's not essential to every technical or innovative systems change that that might bring positive uh, newness to the system. Secondly, uh, I, I shared that denying brokenness when the system is broken can lead to a kind of lightweight, sickening optimism that just lacks authenticity, lacks authority, lacks substance. And that kind of discourse puts us off talking about mindset change. And thirdly, uh, the other side of the spectrum is there can be an acknowledgement of the deep mindset shifts that are needed, but kind of from a very pessimistic, even nihilistic state of powerlessness that does not really believe in the possibility of rebuilding what's broken. So we do need to have both an acknowledgement, a realism of what's broken, as well as a methodology that is sound, that is evidence-based and that gives us hope that yes, a system can be rebuilt and nothing is ever too far gone. Now the reason I'm just going over those again is because what I want to do is frame an answer to how we keep burning in a cold hearted system around those three points. So really they relate. The first is not every change requires a mindset change. So it may be that whatever it is that you may have gone through that was your breaking point or your biggest disappointment in your leadership, uh, the problem may not have been you. And a mindset shift from you may not be the immediate response that is needed for you to move forward because sometimes, and it is possible, sometimes the issue isn't you, sometimes the issue really is that something just very unfair or very disappointing has happened. Something that really should not have happened has taken place and you haven't been in control or you haven't had power over that outcome. The second is about the denial of brokenness, the importance of acknowledging the brokenness that we experience along the way within ourselves and around us and finding ways to give ourselves permission to really grieve healthily uh, so that we are really processing that disappointment in such a way that we don't carry it into the next experience. And the third was around how we use the disappointments and the setbacks as resources in the rebuilding work. So we repurpose them, which is really the heart of renewal, is not just to kind of dust ourselves off and keep going, but it's about how even the most difficult and painful experiences of our lives become rich resources that can be used to build a new narrative of hope, a renewed story. So uh, let me just work through those three with you, and I'll share a little bit from my own journey. I've got a story in mind to share. But before I do that, um, how about we take a moment to just pause and breathe? So where are the pain points for you today? Or where are you experiencing the deepest absence of peace? And what question would you really like to bring to this session today? What would you really like to answer? Or gain a fresh perspective on today? Or what would you really like to heal? So... The experience I want to share from my life um, is a 10-year-old story now, Uh, but it was a moment in my own career path that really was uh, one of the most discouraging moments that I'd experienced uh, to that point. And in some ways on paper, it wasn't the hardest thing I'd ever been through. But in terms of the extent to which it set back my ability to feel energized and hopeful about my work, it was one of the hardest experiences. So I was actually working in a support role at a school at the time, and one of the visions that I had uh, that, I, that I really wanted to bring uh, to the context of the school was that uh, it was an all-girls school, and a lot of the girls that I I was working with and getting to know um, while I was working as a school chaplain, they were really interested in wanting to explore and study uh, classical studies and literature and also philosophy. So, you know, they really wanted to be able to do this with me in the classroom more and more and more. And so, um, I brought this to the senior management and I suggested that instead of doing very bad comparative religion kind of classes, which are just becoming so inappropriate, outdated and boring in a lot of our schools, um, that we, we do this kind of fresh, you know, bring a fresh angle to it and kind of offer students an elective where they could study classical studies and, My thinking was that the education system has just become a little bit too pragmatic to the point that everything's geared towards how our young people are going to be competitive in the market, contribute to the economy, and be able to, you know, be successful in their careers, make money to have a particular lifestyle and, and to sustain that lifestyle. And that kind of the art of just learning for the joy of learning is becoming lost. And so I wanted to create an opportunity for students to have an hour in the week where they could delve into rich literature, critical thought, rhetoric, analysis, and debate, and read some of the classical texts and interact with ancient philosophy. So this was my vision. I put it to the senior management and they agreed to it. But they said that before that they could introduce that, I would need to do a teaching degree because I didn't have a teaching degree at the time. So I did a teaching degree. I took two years to train. I did um, all the teaching rounds. If you've ever done that, you know how extremely taxing uh, it is to do that work. I did this at a time in my life when my child was, my daughter was very young. And it was a huge commitment to put the time and energy into teacher training that I did. Uh, I'm glad I did because I discovered that pedagogy is my absolute passion. And so that was my doorway into that, which I didn't know at the time. But I did the training, I spent two years building up my work in in this context and I developed the curriculum and I put it past, got it approved by the senior management team. We put the subject up. And to cut a long story short, at the final hour, I had a meeting with one of the senior staff who told me that the subject would not be going ahead, as in ever. And this was at the end of a two year process of training and doing all of the work to bring this fresh experience as an option for students into the system. I discovered in that moment that I'd been lied to, that there was never a serious intention to allow this to go ahead. And the feeling of betrayal was very intense. I actually remember at the time, the feeling that happened for me when I was sitting in the office and I received this news was very much like being knifed in the stomach. And I could almost visualize it or almost physically feel this knifing of betrayal of trust go into one of the deepest places in me. And that after I had poured so much of myself into this vision, I found out it was a lie. And it was never going to happen. So I'm at this moment of heartbreak. I'm at this moment of shock uh, to the point of almost feeling a sense of paralysis. And certainly the fire inside of me has just had a bucket of cold water thrown on it? What do I do? So I want to kind of walk through these three points with you. And as I do, please do reflect on how these might apply for you and your own experience. First of all, not every change does require a mindset change. Um, the problem in that particular situation wasn't primarily me. The problem was primarily Dishonesty, and I was used, and I'd been used. So that has to be named. It's very hard to move forward from these kinds of experiences if that is what's happened um, without naming it. And uh, sometimes we can be too quick to try and reframe everything around joint responsibility or um, quickly jump to what does this mean for me and what do I learn and how do I move forward from this? Of course, we want to get there. But to get there, sometimes the first step is just to acknowledge a harm has been done that came from a dark or negative place. It was wrong. It is disappointing. And to acknowledge the powerlessness we may have had over that situation. The second thing is to acknowledge the brokenness. So a technique that I want to encourage that I've learned over the years is that we do need to give ourselves permission to grieve for a period of time. Traditionally, a lot of cultures have allowed grieving periods or have an acknowledged grieving period after a a death in the family occurs. And in Western culture now, we don't tend to have these kinds of rhythms. The problem with them, of course, is that grief doesn't really have a timeline. It isn't linear and deep loss to some extent is a process that never completely ends. We know that. However, having an agreed period of mourning where a person is Given full permission to not be functional, to not be performing to the level that would normally be expected of them, to be in a cave, cuddled, nurtured as they process shock and the initial stages of grief. The beauty of this is it, it allows us the grace and the space to do what our brains and our bodies actually need to do to move forward. And when we experience a major loss or a major setback in our work, especially where we experience what feels like betrayal we need time to metabolize and process that grief. And so one of the practices that I have is to give myself a bit of a time frame. It's not to say at the end of this week or at the end of this month or at the end of this year, I'll be over this and then I'll be fine and I'll move on. But it is to say for a certain period of time, I'm going to give myself permission to just not feel great, to just not have answers, to just not turn this into a positive, bright, chirpy story yet, And to just not be performing to the level that I normally do. And I'm going to do things to care for myself and to give myself respite. And I'm going to give that a time frame, whatever that needs to be, whatever feels about right. And then after that, I'm still going to care for myself. I'm still going to give myself permission to feel sad. But I am going to say that particular period where that's the dominant priority has now come to an end and we're going to start to step into the next stage. So I give myself permission to grieve because acknowledging the brokenness is important. However, third point, we don't want to stay there and we don't want to camp out there forever, do we? Because the other half of renewal is all about believing that systems that are broken can be rebuilt and that nobody and no situation is ever too far gone. So the third part is about beginning to reflect on how this disappointment or how this setback or how this wounding can now be actually not just accepted, but turned into a resource that is used in the rebuilding process moving forward. How is it going to become a part of the story, a part of the toolkit in a new way? How is it going to be used for good? And that's the ultimate renewal. For me, what I came to learn from the experience that I just described is that the approach that I was originally taking wasn't the best approach, because even though the intention and the ideas were good, and even though I had buy-in and interest from the student body, And even though if we'd run with the program I had in mind, I'm sure there would have been a lot of positive outcomes for students and we would have had a lot of fun and who knows, uh, it didn't happen. But what I learned was that it didn't really meet the culture where it was at enough and that I needed to find a way to bring this joy and love of learning, of ancient literature, of philosophy, of classical education into a more pragmatic format. And that eventually led me, long story short, to starting peace education programs and peace building internships with students, which I later ran uh, at a university. And that was where I found pragmatism learning skills that may help students become more employable um, that can be translated into real life action and wetting that with deep roots in philosophical thought could kind of find a happy medium that met the culture and the needs of the education system and young people today more where they're at. So the disappointment turned into a learning and I was grateful in the end that this learning opportunity happened for me because it led me to a much more robust, uh, much more profound and meaningful and enjoyable kind of field of study that I otherwise uh, would never have entered into and experimented with. So the disappointment became a tool, became part of the story and the journey towards a more meaningful answer to the question. So we've come to that point in the podcast where I want to really invite you now to move into a time of reflection to just think about your deepest question. Your unanswered questions about perhaps your own career path and perhaps you have questions about how long You can stay in the system you're in, or if you can, how are you going to do that? What's that going to look like? So I have three questions uh, that I'll lead us through with a moment of pause for reflection. You can always pause the podcast entirely if you want to spend more time on each one. But as you think of the area for you where there is an absence of peace right now, uh, where there is unrest Uh, The first question is about mindset change and whether it's really required. So if you were to call to mind a particular disappointment or a wounding that you are processing right now, is it calling forth a change in you? Or did something just truly unfair happen? The second question is, how can you assign yourself a grieving period? And what will the boundaries of this period look like for you? Lastly, how can your disappointment be used purposefully in the rebuilding process? The Academy of Systemic Renewal is based in Melbourne, and so we acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and we pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging.